Hey everyone, welcome back to Agency Hacker. I'm Destine, your co-host of the show. Today we are here with Anthony Butler, author, serial entrepreneur, business coach, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. How are you, Anthony? I am doing well. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So let's get started. What does your agency do and how did you start it? Well, today is a lot different than what we originally started out as. We've been in business for eight years. And today I, I'm primarily focused on helping companies develop a content strategy, you know, their overall go-to-market for social media and, you know, for demand gen. Um, when we first got started, um, I, I, I used to be the CEO of a, a really large IT company. And I, I was a hired CEO. I wasn't a partner, and they, I helped, I helped them um, prepare for a sale. So I knew about six months out that hey, I was going to be leaving the company. And so I was like, well, what do I want to do? And we had implemented HubSpot. We had used it, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start a HubSpot support agency. We're just going to be on the technical side. Hmm. And so I went to HubSpot and I was like, hey, I want to be a partner. And they're like, nope. We, we only accept agencies and you don't even have any clients yet. And they wouldn't allow me into their agency program. So I did what every good sales guy did. And I went out and I found a customer that wanted to use HubSpot. And I went back to HubSpot and said, hey, I got a, I got a company and this big financial company and they want to use HubSpot, but you're gonna, they're going to hire me to implement it. And so that was my first client, how I first got into marketing. And about two months after we implemented HubSpot for them, they came back to me and they're like, yeah, we love HubSpot. He's like, but one problem, we don't have enough content to put on there. Can you help us develop content for it? And eight years later, we we're still a HubSpot partner. And, but that's kind of a side gig to, Hey, helping companies develop stories and develop their social media presence and, you know, the content they're actually going to produce. Um, so it was, yeah, it was uh, the first couple of years were really rough because I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> so I'm sure. I'm sure many agency owners can relate to that. You know, I think that's very unique. Can you expand on just your journey with HubSpot in the beginning or just what you had to walk through to get to here? Yeah, you know, this was, again, this was eight years ago and kind of the the SEO landscape then was very different than it is now. And I, I think companies at that time, they were just coming to grips with this idea that they needed to publish on a schedule, that they needed to produce a lot of content. They used, needed to use more than one social media channel. And it couldn't all be just promotional um, type content. You know, and that, you know, and that really, it really was a tough time because this was coming off of like, I don't know if you remember back in the day when you had all these companies that were kind of some bad behavior where they were writing, you know, keyword dense pages for the, you know, and buying backlinks from people all over the world and, you know, all the nonsense that went on trying to be the first in a ranking. And, you know, obviously Google figured that out and now, you know, flash forward, they're valuing websites based on, hey, if, if your traffic goes there and it stays and it's a valuable site, like that's going to rate, it's going to be better than anything else. You know, so now you look, when you, when you search most terms, like you're, you're going to find good information. It's very different than it was before. Um, yeah. 
you know, and for the first few years I was doing that, I wasn't really that great. Um, you know, and we, I, when I first started, I was really focused on technical companies, like helping them do the markets because I knew the industry, you know, so we worked with a bunch of SaaS companies and some, you know, IT companies and, you know, lots of, lots of different kinds of like high tech kind of startups. Um, and, and I had founded the agency in New York city. Hmm. So it was basically an unlimited number of clients there. And so we grew really fast. I, I did a quarter of a million dollars in the first year. Wow. That's yeah, amazing. That, that was with me and like one part-time employee. Wow. Um, yeah. And so then as things went on, a couple of years go by and I always had a, a, a guarantee in my contracts and it's like, Hey, you know, we'll sign up for the service and it's on a retainer. And at any time, if you, if you don't want to continue, um, you can just send me a note and I'll refund your money and you can go. And I got my first person, first company who's like, you know, we're, we're going to opt out. We want our money back. And I was like, I was so surprised. I was like, what the heck just happened? Yeah. And so I get their CEO on the phone and I'm talking to him. He's like, you know, the work was professional. It was good. Everything was on time. The graphics were great. Like, like you guys did everything you said, but it didn't work. It's like, like you go, he's like, go and look. It's like, we have no traffic. Nothing is working. We're posting and, you know, we're not getting any, we're not getting anything from it, you know? And I was like, what are you talking about? And, you know, as you know, agencies that can't keep clients long-term, they die quick. And I, I knew I was like, this is, this is bad. This is really bad. And so I started looking across all of our clients. And one of the things I realized was that a professionally produced blog is not enough. Mm. And everyone, and at that time I had fallen into this trap, like our whole agency, we were creating content for search engines. You know, we were riding for the search engines for SEO. And I realized like, if I was a real person, you know, if I, if I gave this blog to my mom, would she read that? You know, <laughs> obviously, yeah. you know, these were B2, mostly B2B and some B2C clients, but, you know, most of the content we were producing was just garbage. It was well-written garbage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and now I look back and I realized the mistake was you're always marketing to humans. You just are like, we're marketing to people. We're not marketing for the search engines. And the mistake is thinking that SEO is for Google itself. And that's yeah. just not the case. And, and I, I think that's a strategic mistake that everyone makes. I made it myself. Um, you know, and one of the ways that I broke out of that is what one day I, I went to a conference down in San Diego with uh, Darren Hardy. I don't know if you've ever heard of Darren Hardy. He's like a, he's, he, he's a, in the personal development industry, he's a, he's a giant. He's got two New York Times bestsellers, really, really smart, smart guy. Um, so I went down to San Diego and he had this three-day retreat and I'm there. And he, in his retreat, he has a whole module and he's talking about marketing. And Darren is a marketing genius. He's got, he's got like over a million people on an email list. Um, I mean, he's just, oh yeah, you should Google him. He's, he's worth following. Well, as I'm listening to Darren, he starts talking about how, you know, people buy emotionally and then they go back and they try to, you know, justify their purchase with, um, justify the purchase with logic. 
And I was like, okay, yeah, that's that I've heard that before. And I, I know it's true. And you know, I've been married for 20 years and every once in a while, my wife will get crazy and she'll go buy something and then try to tell me, you know, it was a really good buy. And, you know, she'll have this like very logical <laughs> argument. Um, but I realized it's not just my wife, it's everyone. We, we buy everything with some sort of emotional attachment. It's like, think about like the last time you went to buy a car. And think about like why you bought the car that you bought, you know, and like how much does a car cost? Well, on, on the low end, you can buy a car for 200 bucks, right? On the high end, it's pretty much sky's the limit. You know, there's cars out there for a couple million, you know, a Lamborghini, you can get a McLaren. I, I, you can spend any amount of money on a car. Yeah. And everywhere in between that price, it, there's one question that if you answer it, It'll help explain why you bought the car that you bought is how does that car make you feel? Yes. Okay. It's like the emotional attachment to it. You know, some people are like, they try to say, oh no, I just need transportation. I need an A to B car. I need A to B. But it's actually not true. You know, like, like look at the outfit that you're wearing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Why are you wearing that outfit? Because it makes you feel a certain way. And then now here's the key. Here's the key. It sends a signal to everyone that you meet. It sends a signal about how you feel, how you think about yourself, you know, to, to our tribe, to the people around us. And as I started really studying and I, I went on this like year long journey and I stumbled on this thing called evolutionary psychology. Mm. And evolutionary psychology is what drove me to end up publishing this book, Primal Storytelling. Okay. What evolutionary psychology is this idea that Humans have been around for almost 100,000 years, mm -hmm. and we have some primal urges, just like animals do, you know, and instincts. But in humans, we've overcome our instincts. You know, like geese, they fly south for the winter. You know, they, they don't decide to take a vacation in Hawaii or go out to California. They fly south. They can't. They have no other choice but to fly south. Mm. Well, humans, we have the vestiges of instincts. Okay. We still have those vestiges where we know that as tribal beings, like we have to be with other people. We need a group. We need to be together, like to survive in the wild. Okay. Well, in modern society, we don't really need all of those people around us anymore, but we still have the instinct to be part of a group, to be part of society. And, you know, to, to be welcomed, to be liked, to have friends, to have extended family, to have relationships. And when I started to link primal urges and emotion back to marketing for people, everything changed. And now flash forward, I've got clients that have been with me for six plus years. I still do all their content planning, still do all their strategy. And what I did was I developed a system around primal storytelling just to help agencies and other marketers do it themselves. So, um, wow, that's you know, amazing. You know, I actually had the pleasure of, of checking out your website as well. And I was looking at primal storytelling and I just love that it emphasized humans. And it's just this conversation of the importance of connection and realizing that, like you said, we're not writing toward, we're not writing to computers or AI or writing to people, you know, exactly. that's so important. 
So who, or let me ask you this, who are your clients? Are they, you mentioned that they're long-term or how did you get your clients inbound, outbound, so referrals, ads, social media? What was your process in that? Yeah. So in the early days, I, I was by referral only, you know, and I, I already, I, I had been established in New York in the startup scene early. So I, I knew a lot of people. So mm-hmm. my first three years, I didn't market at all. I just networked and got referrals and, you know, we blew up. Um, wow. The last two years, that's changed quite a bit. I relocated back to Montana where I'm originally from, um, you know, and then the pandemic hit and that, you know, as you know, that really is riled businesses up, you know, worldwide. So we, we took a really big hit during the pandemic mm. because what's, what's the first budget to get cut in a big company? Well, we're going to cut marketing, you know, we're going to cut back on our content. That's the first thing. So we, we took a big hit the last couple of years. Mm. Um, so in the last 18 months, I've moved back toward, um, demand gen for myself. You know, I'm like the cobbler with no shoes and like applying primal storytelling to my own business. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I have a pretty big following on LinkedIn and I still have a good network. And so referrals are still coming in, but yeah, a lot of my own content, um, I do do some ads around primal storytelling and, you know, helping companies develop their, you know, what I call a primal storytelling foundation. Like, mm-hmm. hey, what are we going to publish for the next year or so? Um, and then in December, I'm rolling out a program where I'm going to do training and I want to train new marketers and agencies on how to apply primal storytelling into their business. Wow. That's amazing. Can you expand on that and on what you're looking forward to doing that time? Yeah. So it's going to be a primal storytelling certification. And what I'm going to do is we have a, you know, it's about just over 50 hours of curriculum for someone to come in. And from the very, very beginning, you know, if someone's like you're just getting out of college and you want to go into marketing, you're not sure you need a certification of some sort to, to help, you know, jumpstart your career. Like this will be a place to really understand like how does content develop, you know, how to, how to really create a funnel with the right kinds of lead magnets and then mm-hmm. long-term nurture content. You know, how, how do you write a, um, an email sequence that's going to get, that's going to really do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just, you know, Hey, Tony's opinion. I've gone out and, you know, as part of the book, we, we did an enormous, enormous amount of testing. Um, from email sequences to different kinds of content on, you know, like, like as an example, if you look at viral campaigns, mm-hmm. you know, what are the elements of a viral campaign? Why do they go viral? You know, why does one campaign do really well and another campaign falls on its face? And most of the time it has to do with a, an underlying foundation of primal urges, but mostly a, an emotional connection that people really identify with. Um, yeah, think back like a few years ago, the ice bucket challenge. You remember that one? Yes. <laughs> Spiral thing was kind of fun. People dumping cold water on their heads and you know, <laughs> and challenging other people. It it was something that a group of friends could do together and mm-hmm. families could do together, one right after another. And it was for a good cause and it made everyone feel good and it was fun and it just took off like crazy. Um, and it's, it's it's like anything else. If you go on TikTok or Instagram and look at reels that trend, you know, you'll see a whole category of reels that'll just trend. Well, 
why do they do that? Why, why is everyone copying each other? Because it, it strikes on a feeling. Uh, that's, that's kind of the idea behind it. Yeah. That's a great, you know, great examples that you just, that you just mentioned. You know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's just a lot of bonding, you know, like we are able to relate with one another and that feeling, it makes us feel like we're not alone or that we're all, maybe we're more similar than we think, than we might not think that we are. And it's just so important with just building also relationships, I would say with your clients. Do you feel like it's more personalized the way they're able to serve them and understand them and their stories? Absolutely. And it's authentic. Yeah. And the other thing that I really push big clients to do is move away from what I think of as me too marketing, where, you know, like, like as an example, I have a, I have, I have a really large client and they're kind of in the aerospace manufacturing, engineering type spaces. They make, they, they own a bunch of sub companies and they make all kinds of things, you know, thousands and thousands of different things. And they, for years and years and years, they only did the exact same marketing that everyone else in their industry did. And you, you'll see it so much as like an industry, everyone in the industry will do exactly what everyone else is doing. You know, they're sharing all the same news. You know, it's just, it's just yeah. like terrible, terrible. Well, since it's so bland and it's so me too, mm-hmm. nothing gets noticed. Like everyone is spending money, you know, spending 50, 60, 100,000 a year on doing campaigns and things. And and it's just terrible stuff. And just having them flip the script and say, you know what, instead of thinking about yourself and what you do, let's think about them. Let's do something for your clients as people. Like what do they need? You know, I had one client, um, again, in the manufacturing space and they ended up rolling out a leadership development program. And that wasn't for themselves. It was for their mm-hmm. clients and the people that the, the employees at their clients. And it, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's really kind of a bold thing to do because it doesn't have anything directly to do with sales, but it helped them forge a bond with, with their best clients, you know, and it's wow. kind of a roundabout way to think about content. Yeah. I think that's amazing. You know what you're getting at. It just sounds like it's not always about copying the next person, but really just focusing on maybe your gifts and what you're good at and you know the story that you want to bring forth. What would you say is your expertise, your agency's expertise? So we're broad-based. I think our, our core expertise is looking at a company and then helping them understand how they can connect with their audience. That's the expertise. It's not necessarily industry specific. You know, I've worked in a couple of dozen different industries, um, you know, but I've, I also have had a lot of clients, mm. you know, just so, um, yeah, not, not a single niche, both B2B and B2C. Yeah. And that's okay. that it's not, I mean, that's, that's amazing. It just, it just emphasizes once again, the importance on connection. What do you feel like you are currently learning right now to level up your agency? Well, I think leveling up my agency is really, it's come back to the realization that there's some permanent changes in the market after COVID, you know, like this new world where people are working from home a lot more. I think we've forced companies to go online and think of their digital presence in a very different way. 
And I, I think just really dissecting that and understanding like what is going to drive value going forward, you know, and it's not more automation and it's not more zoom calls and webinars that are automated and the rest of it. It's more human connection, yeah. you know, and like, like the one big lesson from COVID is that like by being isolated, like how many parties do you see that are going on right now this weekend? Like people are happy to be out and about and seeing yeah. each other and being back with their family. Like this is going to yeah. be the best Thanksgiving ever. Oh, um, yeah. You know, I, I think I, and I, I don't think I'm the only one who feels that way. Yeah, I agree. It's, yeah, it's this new sense of it's just a new perspective I think on life once we realized we were in a place where we couldn't do the things we were used to doing, you know. It just it just changed I I would say change our perspective on the importance, right, of connection like you mentioned. And Absolutely. you know, what would you say is one of your core values in your agency? Well, one of my core values is, you know, trust. Yeah. And that's you know, creating trust with clients, creating trust with employees, doing the things that you say you're going to do. Um, you know, I, I think most clients are really kind and they, they want you to succeed. They want to work with you. They want you to do your best work. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I have, I have one client I've been with for seven years, seven years. And you can imagine over the course of seven years, there's some ups and some downs. And like, you know, there's a couple months there where we did some work that wasn't the greatest and, you know, and our team, you know, stumbled and fell and you know what, we got through it and we're still together now. Um, you know, and, and the flip side of that, you know, they got smashed during COVID and they didn't pay us for five months and, <laughs> you know, and we, we kept them on board <laughs> and like talked it through and worked through mm -hmm. it. And, you know, we're, we're going as strong as ever. That's amazing. You know, it, it's great having, I, I like having clients who are friends. Um, yeah. You know, it makes everything easier and better. Absolutely. How can you expand on what you were or how you were able to transition from the hardships of COVID with your agency compared to now? Like, how are you able to get to a place of, I would say, consistency? If not, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, it starts with having a hardcore rigid discipline schedule, you know, and I, I'm always shocked by, you know, and, and my son, he just turned 18 and he, he has his own company and I work with him. Um, nice. and I, he, he actually is doing really well, but is that, you know, discipline matters and Hey, if you want to be creative, you need to work every single day on a very rigid schedule. And you know you hear all these creators. Oh well, I work best at one in the morning. Like, yeah, it's actually not true. What, what what's really true is you procrastinate until one in the morning, and then you're so scared that you got a deadline, then you start working. Okay. Whereas the opposite is, hey, if at every day I sit down ready to go and I'm working right now, you'll be creative every day at eight o'clock. You know. And so I mean I. I was in the army for a really long time. Um, you know, so I have a very, very unusual schedule. I get up every day at 4.30 AM, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year, and I get to work. Um, you know, but I don't expect everyone that I to do what I do. Uh, but I, I think the the bottom line is last year I I personally 
produce more than 300 articles. And I just published a book and I, you know, handled tons of client work myself, you know, and I got a team also that helps. But in order to do that, like you have to have a schedule that really works for you. You know, um, I don't, I hear everyone's like, oh, you should separate your work and your personal life. I, I don't do that. I blend my life together. Um, I also own a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school. So I'm a black belt and I got a bunch of students. So I built my agency office in the same building as my jiu-jitsu school. And it's right down the street from where I, where I live. So I walk to work. It's a three-minute commute. When I want to go train jujitsu, I walk out the back door and in the front door of the jujitsu school, got showers there, got a locker room, you know, I can take a shower, I can work out, can teach, you know. Um, and it's having a blended life that's regimented and it just it helps you be productive and it helps long term for you to be even more creative. Yeah, I I agree. You know, I do hear that often as well, like creating at 1 a.m. and or maybe you need to do nothing to get inspired, but I would say having a routine and, you know, just nodding or just writing down a couple of things that you're thinking of can actually help you get inspired compared to just frolicking, I would say, you know, discipline is very much important. And would you say that that's a skill that you had to learn over time or has it just always been since the beginning, like, you know, something that you excel in? And also, if you can expand on your experience in the army, I'd love to hear. And Bush listeners would love to. Well, no, no one is just born disciplined. It's not. It's not yes. how it works. You know. Um, you know. I. My my mom had me when she was sixteen, mm. so I kind of had a rough start. Um, so I, I joined the army as a mechanic straight out of high school. I had no, no, no prospects for college. No money. No connections. No nothing. Uh, you know. I basically grew up in a trailer park, but. When I got in the army, one of the things that they do there is they put you on a schedule, whether you want to be on one or not. Um, you know, and I, I thrived. I, I thrived under that. Um, you know, so I enlisted as a mechanic. I, you know, basically went to basic training, and they gave you a big toolbox and taught you how to fix trucks. That's what I did to start out. Um, I also, I, I think, I was a really talented shooter. And I was on a deployment and this officer saw me shoot and he was like, you know, I've never seen anyone shoot like you. You should go to West Point and be on their shooting team. Um, so that led one thing to another and I ended up getting into the academy. Um, and I shot at the academy for one year and eventually I graduated from West Point and then I was in the infantry and was an army ranger. Um, and then eventually I commanded an infantry company over in Iraq and kind of the experience in, you know, I spent two and a half years in combat zones around the world. And that, that kind of, one of the things that it taught me was just the emotional side that people have at the extremes, you know, when bad things are happening, you know, and it, it so then later on when I went into marketing and I, I was really in tune with people's emotions and like, like how, that can be such a motivating factor. Um, you know, one of the one of the primary responsibilities of an officer, an infantry officer in combat, is just managing the emotions of the men. That's that's how it is. Wow. You know, when people start to die, and you see your friends die, and you have enemy coming after you, you you get angry, and sometimes that anger can lead to places that you don't want to go. 
So oh, it was wow. like the officer's job to make sure that you're managing the violence. Wow. You have quite the story. It's very unique, you know, and with all your experience, clearly you have results to show for it. And I think that's, I think that's great. What would you say to just kind of transition is your biggest rock to move on your journey to seven figures? My biggest rock to move. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, it's what every business is faced with is, you know, handling lead flow in a professional way and saying no to the clients that aren't a good fit. And that's the hardest thing for anyone to do, but saying no to enough opportunities and choosing just those that fit you just right, mm. you know, and it, it's a, it's a powerful place to be, you know, and I, I know every startup is like, okay, we got a client, we should take them. We got to sign them up right now. Like, yeah, but they're not that great of a fit for you guys. And yeah, but they're going to pay us a lot of money. Yeah, but it's, they're not a great fit. We'll make them fit. Well, you know, and, and I think a mistake agencies make is when they're trying to be profitable and grow is that taking on clients that aren't a perfect fit is just a type of discipline that you have to have as an entrepreneur. Hmm. It's, it's always a mistake and you know that it's a mistake. You know, um, working with companies that are a great fit, that have money, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it, it matters. Yeah, absolutely. I think that speaks to just having integrity with saying no's and yeses to what will work for you and also for the client. You know, on the flip side, I want to ask, what are you currently most proud of right now during your journey? As an most agency. proud of professionally as an agency? Yes. Um, well, I, I like the fact that I have a lot of long-term clients. I'm really proud of that. You know, it's, it's a sign of good work. Mm. You know, everyone wants to do really good work and um, have, you know, have a, a legacy that you can look back on. And I've, you know, I've written, I don't even know how many campaigns over the years and worked on lots of campaigns as a team. So mm -hmm. the chances that you've seen something that I've done are pretty high, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and that's always, that's always something that I like to give back. Yeah. Um, one thing that has made me really happy is I've had employees that, you know, came, started working here, um, stayed with us for years, and then went on to some really big jobs. And now they're, you know, directors of marketing. You know, I've got at least a couple of ex-employees that are going to be CMOs at companies that, you know, I train them, I gave them their start. You know, and I, I think that that kind of that springboards into a great career, mm. you know, and I have good relationships with a lot of employees who outgrew us, you know, and I had one employee who, and I, I pay more than market. And I've had one employee, she, she left and she got double what she was making here. And I was like, she's like, I got this opportunity. I was like, well, you have to take it. Aww. You can't, can't say no. So go. Aww. So That's amazing. I love that answer. Do you yeah. happen to have any favorite agency scaling influencers or authors that you want um, our listeners to hear about? Agency scaling authors. I think one book that every marketer should read is The War of Art by mm -hmm. Pressfield. Um, he's the same guy. He wrote 300, but he wrote, he wrote a amazing, amazing book for creatives called The War of Art. I, I, I give copies of that book. So book away to every single new employee, um, you know, and it's, 
one of the things that it it will help you understand is what's holding you back from being your most creative. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think a lot of people they struggle in agencies. You know, we we all work with creatives. You know, whether they're a visual creative, a designer, or a writer, or a copywriter, you know, or a professional blogger, you know, wh- whatever it might be in some sort of creative capacity. Yeah. Is that we get scared. Yeah. We're nervous <laughs> about doing our best work. And we're, we're nervous about being criticized. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been doing this a really long time and, you know, releasing the book. Do you know the fear? that it was like the final edits, <laughs> you know, if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever written a book, but yes, you know, I do. getting through the publishing process is murder. I mean, it is, it's like, <laughs> it's like root canal with no, with no anesthesia. I mean, it is really hard, hard, hard. Yeah. Um, but besides the work is recognizing when, you know what? Perfect is not attainable. Mm. We got to stop. We got to, we got to, we, we finally have to say good enough mm-hmm. and ship. Got to send it out. We got to let people criticize us. And then recognizing that, you know what? Not everyone's going to love all your work. They're not. Mm-hmm. You know, how many campaigns have I done that I'm like, this is going to be the best viral campaign ever written? You know, this should be in the Super Bowl. And, and it just falls on its face. It happens. Um, and it's being humble and recognizing that. You know, not everything you do is going to reverberate with everyone. You know, sometimes when you're creating something, it's like magic dancing off your fingertips. Yeah. And other times, you know, you're just not going to be that great. Yeah. Um, but it's always coming back to the schedule. You know what? I got knocked down today. I'm going to keep going tomorrow. And I think Pressfield, he really, he jumps into that in the war of art. He talks about the resistance and just, just how hard it can be, why we pro- why people procrastinate, mm. why they put off doing their best work, why they put off writing the book that they know they've got in them. Mm. You know, God made us creative for a reason. Yes. We're creators. So yes. I think that's uh that's the big that's the big takeaway I have for most agencies is like, look. Yeah, there's science, there's data, there, there's the hard, dry side of agency work, but the creative side is what will drive every agency to new heights. Yes. Um, I don't know. That's that's my thought on it. I love that. I wrote that down as well. I will definitely be tuning in. I love this conversation of just being a creative in general. You know, saying per- just that statement, perfection, you know, isn't attainable was something that. I had to constantly tell me, tell myself, and I still do, you know, and I'm also currently in the publishing phase of, of my book as well. So I really align with what you're saying, you know, thank you. Do you, are you still, or did you in the past navigate any fears with just being an agency owner and are you still navigating through them? How do you get past that, that edge? Well, for me, I I had lots of fear when I first when I start, first started on my entrepreneurial journey. You know, I had lots of fear. You know, and now I've you know, I got out of the army over twenty years ago. So I or I guess going on twenty years. Um, so I got a late start in business. I was in my thirties before I started my first company, and you know, and that you know that was really hard. It was really scary. You know, as everyone 
as everyone has, you know, and when I first got into content, I was like, I'm a technical guy. I don't know if I can create something for someone else. So I was, yeah, I was scared. Yeah. Um, but again, I just charged forward and I did it anyway and it worked out and I recognized that in every learning process, you know, it's like, it's like in jujitsu, you know, I, I teach Brazilian jujitsu is like everyone sucks when they start, you know, when you first walk on the mat um, and you're brand new in every, you're in a room full of killers, like everyone can smash you, uh, you know, and once you get past that and you recognize that, Hey, you know what? Other people did this. Why not me? Mm-hmm. Other people have ran big agencies. Why not me? Yes. You know, other people have created something that was, you know, going to last a generation. Why not me? I can yeah. do that too. So, um, Absolutely. you know, when, you know, led back to this, this lesson I had in the army about ranger school and ranger school is one of these, um, it's a school where, you know, the dropout rate is 80% probably maybe even more and during certain time periods, like especially in the winter time, sometimes as much as 90%. So you'll get a class, you know, a few hundred people will start and 20 will finish, you know, 15 will finish. Um, when I went, I, I went, I went as a Lieutenant the first time I went and I got hurt, washed out the first two weeks. I started to go back a second time as a Lieutenant and had a, a different injury, got washed out a second time. And then I went back as a captain and I started with 33 other captains and I was the only one of the captains that graduated. Wow. And, you know, it's one of those things. It's, it's that something that's really, really hard might take a lot of effort, way more effort than you thought. And things that are valuable they're going to be hard. Absolutely. You know, why doesn't everyone have six pack abs? Well, everyone doesn't have six pack abs because losing weight is hard and being hungry is hard and it's uncomfortable. Like everyone knows how to lose weight, right? But no one does it. Mm-hmm. And it's just because it's, it's hard. Yeah. You know? and, and it shouldn't be easy. Yeah. <laughs> the reward of having six pack abs is, is that, you know what? You accomplish something hard. You know, it's not to mean that people don't have gifts and some people are just born with six pack abs or just born super creative and smarter than the rest of us, you know, but gifts can be developed. If you don't have a gift in something, you can still get better at it if you spend the time. Yes, absolutely. This has been a great conversation. I do want to transition to some ending questions. Do you have any just any further advice for agency owners listening to this or your peers listening to this as well? I think my big advice is look at yourself, find what your core gifts are and focus on those. And then look at who do you think are your best clients? Who can you help the most with your gift and niche it down as far as you can, you know, whether it's, like for me, I niched down to content. That's what I do. I don't do design. I don't do websites. You know, I, I know the I know the ninety nine things I don't do, and I focus on the one thing that I do do. Mm-hmm. And and that's that that I think that's where you're really going to make a difference, and it makes it easier to grow. You know, and if you're just getting started, don't try to have ten services or five services or three. You know, pick one or two and be really good at those. Yeah. So I think that's my, my big advice. 
Thank you for saying that. You know, I think that's great advice. I hear this often as well, just focusing and narrowing down on what you're able to specialize in or just a skill that you know you have that you can give to others. You know, thank you so much for coming on. I do want to also say, how can people get in contact with you? So I'm most active on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just Anthony L. Butler on LinkedIn. That, that's probably the best place. Just message me on there. Um, I am on, I, I, my team finally convinced me to open up an Instagram. So I just got started on there. I got about 300 followers, but I, I am on there. I answer all my own messages. So um, nice. that's new for me and I'm kind of old, so that's different. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think LinkedIn and Instagram are probably the two best places for people to connect with me. Awesome. Thank you so much for this episode. You know, I've it's been truly insightful and I'm certain listeners will enjoy. Thank you for coming on. Well, I appreciate you having me.